Welcome to episode four of Mystery Monday. If you're new here, welcome to the True Crime Chronicles podcast. I'm glad that you're here. If you've been here before, welcome back. I'm glad you're here also. Today's Mystery Monday episode is about the disappearance of Jamie Fraley. This is kind of a wild case. I had heard about it several years back and it was one of those cases that just kind of stuck with me. So I knew it was a case I wanted to talk about. The plot twist in this story just left me a little speechless, honestly. The evil in this one man just baffles me and honestly it's scary because you never know the family you marry into. Even though your spouse or future spouse may be great, right? Like they are just completely awesome. Best thing since sliced bread, a hot ticket item, right? They're amazing. But that doesn't always mean that their family is going to be. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case for Jamie. So sit back and get comfortable while we talk about the disappearance of 22-year-old Jamie Fraley. Hold your head up high. Be the struggle when I die. When Kim Fraley first read those words, she had no idea they would be a foreshadow to future events. They have taken on a completely new meaning for Kim now. A much eerier kind of vibe. When Kim's daughter, Jamie, wrote those words, she had no idea the meaning they would come to have. In the early hours of April 8th, 2008, Jamie Michelle Fraley would disappear from the Copperfield Apartments complex at 1850 Lowell Bethesda Road. Jamie was battling a severe stomach flu and was waiting on a ride to take her back to the hospital. She had been twice in the past 24 hours, but she felt that her symptoms were getting worse and she wanted to go back. Jamie was on the phone with a friend when she suddenly said she had to go. Her ride was here. He was here. And he was there to take her back to the hospital. Now, Jamie has not been seen or heard from since this phone call. Jamie Michelle Fraley was born March 5th, 1986 in Gastonia, North Carolina. And if I said that wrong, I apologize. Let's pretend I didn't and move forward. She was born to Kim Fraley. Now, I could not find any information on her birth father, who he was. Was he involved with her at all? Was he, you know, married to her mother? Was it a casual relationship, a relationship that didn't work out? I There was nothing I could really find about him. But Kim was married to Jamie's stepfather, Gary Ray who seemed to be quite involved with Jamie and loved her very much. So Jamie had a very close connection with her family. But Jamie had a bit of a rough childhood. She suffered from anxiety disorder and bipolar disorder that was quite debilitating for her, to the point that she could not continue her education and had to drop out of high school. Now, I did see in... One other article where it said 
she graduated high school and was, you know, continuing with the classes at a community college, but the majority of them said that she had dropped out and was working towards her GED. So that's just kind of what I'm going to go with because that was the majority of what I saw. But I did want to note, one said she did graduate. Now, her condition made it quite challenging for Jamie to lead a normal life. Just even to be able to do the basic regular stuff that we take for granted every day. Like, that was really hard for Jamie to do. But despite these challenges, Jamie was able to work towards her GED and study part-time at Gaston College. She wanted at some point to be a substance abuse counselor. Now, Jamie was a tiny nugget of a person. Like, she was just, to say she was petite would be an understatement. At four foot nine, and according to her mother, just 90 pounds soaking wet, right? She was just tiny. But Kim said she was feisty enough in personality to make up for her lack of size, She notes that in addition to being feisty, Jamie was very sweet and she always wanted to help people. She was driven to do good. And it was her experience with several friends who struggled with addiction that led Jamie to want to be a substance abuse counselor. Jamie herself had never, you know, touched drugs or had any type of addiction issues, but she had sympathy and compassion for those who had. And... You know, that doesn't happen very often either. There is not a lot of compassion as a whole for addicts. And so I think that, especially if you've never been one and you don't have that particular perspective, right? So, you know, that that was amazing in my opinion. In 2006, Jamie would move into Copperfield's apartment complex It was in this year she meets Ricky Simmons Jr. Now they very quickly click and begin dating. According to most people, they were inseparable and seemingly very happy together. They fast-tracked their relationship and became engaged shortly after they began dating. Now Ricky did have a criminal record and a previous history of drug abuse as well. But Jamie was very accepting and supportive and stood by her man. Even as he was set to serve a 15-month bid for larceny, he was going to be gone from January 4th through April 29th of 2008, but Jamie was right there, writing him a letter every day and taking phone calls, doing the visits. Anyone who's ever been a jail wife, you know the lifestyle I'm talking about. (laughs) And Jamie would get pretty defensive about Ricky's legal troubles when her family would express their concern. In addition to the larceny, Ricky's rap sheet also included drug possession and auto theft. But that did nothing to sway Jamie's heart. Like, she was standing by her man regardless. She even had Ricky tattooed on her ankle. Now, due to her anxiety and bipolar disorder, Jamie had not yet gotten a driver's license, but she had a pretty big support system willing to help her get from place to place as she needed to go. Jamie's mother, her aunt, and various friends would always make themselves available to take Jamie to the store 
doctor appointments, social security appointments, or just generally wherever she needed to go. In addition to this support group, she also had another avenue of support, and that came in the form of 49-year-old Ricky Simmons Sr. and his girlfriend, Kim Springer. They happened to live two doors down from Jamie at the Copperfield Apartments. He was a maintenance worker for the apartment complex. Now, this is important to remember because it could play a factor later on, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Eventually, Ricky Sr. and Kim break up and she moves out of the apartment. Now, Ricky Sr. had a criminal history of his own, which was far more disturbing than that of the junior version. He had a history of fraud, larceny, drugs, but the worst was in 1986 when he was convicted of strangling his ex-girlfriend, 24-year-old Donna Miller, to death. Ricky Sr. was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 20 years. I'm guessing this was done via a plea bargain of some sort because the original charge was first-degree murder. Now, Ricky Sr. was on his best behavior in the big house and managed to be paroled after about six years in 1992, which is horrific. I mean, you, that I, I just can't even, but that's our jail system. After his arrest for the first-degree murder, he was admitted to a mental hospital for suicidal ideations and threats when the bail bondsman came to take him in. So I guess at some point he had bonded out from this first-degree murder charge, but, I mean, this was back in the 80s, too, so I, I don't know how everything worked then. So violence against women is pretty front and center on Ricky Sr.'s resume. Now, I have zero clue whatever happened to Ricky Jr.'s mother. I don't think Donna Miller was his mother, but I couldn't find anything naming who she was. Now, for the purpose of this episode... Because there are two Rickies, I'm going to refer to them as Junior and Senior, just to make it easier and less confusing. So Junior is obviously the younger one, Senior is going to be his father. Now this brings us to April 7th of 2008. Jamie had come down with what appeared to be some type of pretty severe stomach flu. She woke up with intense stomach pains that morning and it got so bad that Jamie ends up getting a ride to the emergency room around lunchtime where she is seen by a doctor given a prescription and told to rest and come back if it gets worse now Jamie didn't think the hospital got this right but even as her symptoms and pain intensified she tried to go on about her day as normal she was dog sitting for seniors ex-girlfriend Kim Springer who had split with Senior by this time. Now, I don't know if it was more of a temporary foster situation for the dog or how the babysitting situation was set up or why, but for whatever reason, Jamie had the dog. Now, Kim offered to drop off Jamie's prescription from the hospital and have someone pick it up for her so that she could just stay home and rest. Now, later that evening, with no improvement, Jamie decides she needs to go back to the hospital. So sometime between 8 and 10, she calls Senior to give her a ride to go back to the emergency room. Senior drops her off 
and she walks into the emergency room. Unfortunately, there was a three-hour wait at the hospital to be seen. Jamie decided she wanted to wait there for three hours and wanted to go back home. She tries to call Senior back with no answer. Ultimately, Jamie manages to get a hold of a friend to pick her back up. She gets back to her apartment around midnight, and several people did see Jamie entering her apartment around this time. When she got inside, she got settled. Jamie calls her mother, Kim, and tells her what was going on and that she was vomiting frequently and she had the chills. So Kim offers to take Jamie back to the emergency room or just to pick her up if she wanted so she wasn't alone and sick and home by herself. But Jamie had an appointment at the Social Security office the next morning, and she had someone coming to take her. So... This person, the person who was taking her in the morning, was repeatedly described as her healthcare provider that was picking her up, but I'm guessing it was a service through SSI or, you know, Medicaid of some type that transports people to appointments if they can't get there on their own. So when they say healthcare provider, I mean, it's obviously not her doctor or a provider that picks her up and takes her back and forth so I'm guessing it's that type of situation she told her mom at the end of that conversation that she was going to try and go back to the hospital now why she didn't have her mom take her I have no idea especially since Kim had offered but she had opted to call someone else for a ride for whatever reason she didn't have her mom take her now, Jamie was on the phone with a friend about 1.30. It might have been 2 o'clock. I had seen both, but the majority seemed to be about 1.30 after she had gotten off the phone with her mom. Now, this friend lived about 90 minutes away. So she told a friend that she was going back to the hospital and that she had to go because her ride was here. Now, Jamie followed that immediately with, he is here. The friend said that Jamie never did identify who he was, but did state that Jamie had mentioned whoever he was, he drove a truck. So the assumption was that Jamie had made it to the hospital and was being treated, but she didn't make it there. No one has seen or heard from Jamie since that phone conversation. So her last call was to the friend at 1.30. The last actual sighting of Jamie was by the several neighbors who saw her going into her apartment at midnight after being dropped off from the hospital. Now, later that morning, the person described as the healthcare worker showed up to Jamie's apartment to take her to the social security appointment. She arrives at the apartment, knocks on the door, gets no answer. When she couldn't reach Jamie at the door, she called several times again with no answer. She checked the door. It was locked. At that point, she just assumed Jamie was at home and left. Now, for whatever reason, she didn't contact Jamie's mother until either the next day or two days later. Again, I saw both. I couldn't really pinpoint, you know, which one it was. But she just didn't call her right away to let her know that she was unable to make contact with Jamie. 
Now, would she, if Jamie's 22, would she call the mother right away to say she couldn't get a hold of her? I don't know. Maybe in, in Jamie's situation, she would. But I would say maybe in general, no, she's 22 and she's not here for her appointment. I don't know. I'm not sure if she kept in contact with Kim like that. But it, I guess, kind of sounds like she did. Now, Kim had not heard from Jamie either, and at this point, she didn't immediately think bad thoughts. It was typical for Jamie to go several days without checking in with her mom. Although in this case, with as sick as she was, you'd think that would draw a little more concern when she didn't hear from her. But, I mean, I guess Kim had just assumed Jamie was feeling better, and she would hear from her eventually like she always did. But she didn't. Instead, she got a call from the healthcare worker, letting her know that she didn't take Jamie to her SS appointment and why. Now, obviously, this threw up a lot of red flags for Kim. So Kim, Jamie's Aunt Stacy, and Cousin Hallie go over to Jamie's apartment to investigate after calling the police to go and do a welfare check. The police get a key from the property manager at Carverfield Apartments and they go check. They go to Jamie's apartment. They say nothing looked out of place. No signs of a struggle. No signs of forced entry. Now, the nothing looked out of place part, I'm going to come back to here shortly because that seemed a little odd to me. But that was their official findings, right? Everything looked normal. Now, Kim figured it was better for them to look at Jamie's apartment because they knew what to look for. And what they found inside was alarming to them. Everything Jamie would need to even be seen at a hospital was still in her apartment. Her purse with her identification still in it. Her keys were in there. Her medication was still there. Now how her door was locked with her keys still in the apartment? Hmm. Yes. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. Now, in the bedroom, there was dried vomit all over in multiple places. So, this is where I'm saying, if the police did a welfare check, how could they think that that much dried vomit all over a room was nothing out of the ordinary? That just seems a little wild to me. So, either they didn't really do a, a full check and just sort of looked around like, oh, okay, no struggle, looks fine, and they didn't really look that close, or I guess maybe they thought it was just normal for her to have piles of puke everywhere. I don't know. Either way, it seems a little odd. Jamie's family continues to look around the apartment to see what they can see or not see. And what they didn't see was sort of odd to Kim. Police had already decided that Jamie probably had not run away. Or, you know, left of her own accord. Now, Kim knew that to be true. And it wasn't just a mother's instincts. Jamie's shoelaces were gone out of her shoes. These were her favorite shoes and the only pair of shoes that Jamie would most definitely have had on if she was going to go anywhere. Jamie's phone was also missing along with her shoelaces. Now it was at this time it really sank in for Kim that Jamie was missing. There was a problem. So April 11th, of 20 or 2008 she went and filed an official missing persons report with Gastonia Police Department 
While Kim was waiting for the police to come back out to the apartment, they kept trying to call Jamie's phone just back to back. Now, eventually, a man answered Jamie's phone. The man was a local cable company employee. He was out repairing cable lines and heard the phone ringing. It had taken him a few minutes to kind of pinpoint where the ringing was coming from, but as soon as he did, he answered it and let Kim know he was at the intersection of New Hope Road and Hudson Boulevard. Kim informs the police immediately, and they send someone out to go and pick up the phone. Now, the phone had been handled by too many people when they tried to process it for information. It had been out in the elements. Multiple different people had touched this phone. So they were not able to really pull any prints off of it. And the phone looked as though it had been thrown out the window of a moving car. Like it was scuffed up and just not in the best of shape. The phone was found about one and a half miles from where Jamie's apartment complex was. I also saw that it was three miles, so I wasn't able to determine which one it was. I equally saw one and a half and three. So somewhere between one and a half and three miles away from Jamie's apartment. When they were able to access her call records, they saw several calls were made from her phone about 4.30 a.m., but none of those calls had actually connected. The numbers that were dialed had all come from Jamie's list of recent calls. An incoming call to Jamie's phone did come in at 5, but investigators were unable to determine who the call had come from. So why would the calls not connect? Was it a bad service area? No reception? You know, what areas in that town would have that type of reception or lack of reception? And did the 5 a.m. call connect? So when the 4.30 calls didn't, the 5 o'clock did? And why? Was that now in a different area? They never really did say, um, and I'm assuming as part of the investigation, where it pinged off of at the time of these phone calls. Now, at this point, the investigation into the disappearance of 22-year-old Jamie Michelle Fraley kicks off into full speed. The detectives were able to determine she had never made it back to the hospital. They spoke with a friend who said Jamie had told them he is here. Now, even though she struggled with anxiety and bipolar disorder, Jamie had been stable on her meds for several years. Police did not at all think she had run away or left on her own accord. They were convinced that foul play was involved. The police, of course, are going to question Senior. He was the last known person she was with when he dropped her off at midnight. It was also apparently pretty well known that Senior was obsessed with Jamie and frequently flirted with her and came on to her. Friends and family said it made Jamie very uncomfortable, but she sort of ignored it. So she kind of got along to get along. I mean, this was her fiancé's dad. He lived two doors down. She needed him for help. So she kind of was like, oh, yeah, okay. And just sort of brushed it off. Now, Jamie also knew about Senior's past, but for whatever reason, was very reluctant to estrange herself from him. 
Again, probably because it was her future father-in-law and because honestly, she probably needed his help and he was only two doors away. Now, part of it too might have just been naiveness of a sheltered 22-year-old girl. Kim had said she was not surprised by this. She describes Jamie as a firecracker with a big heart and someone who always tried to see the best in people, but who unfortunately is just far too trusting of everyone. Now, police brought canines to try and trace her, search the woods, the lake out by her apartment. I mean, they were looking everywhere. Police interviewed family, friends, and all of Jamie's neighbors. Family members handed out hundreds of flyers. They did their own searches, and they went as far as to hire a private investigator. Now, all of the neighbors in the complex, they were cooperative and helpful, and they were happy to do so. They were worried about their neighbor, and they wanted to help in any way that they could. All except for one. Want to guess which one? Bet you'll never guess. You're never going to guess. But if you did guess, neighbor, Ricky Sr., then you nailed it. Sr. wanted no part of this investigation, and it showed. Police were obviously going to want to talk with Sr. Besides the fact that he was you know, part of Jamie's inner circle, police typically, you know, they start in and then they sort of build out. And he was also the last person to have seen her. So for sure they wanted to talk to him. Now police described Senior as cold and manipulative and very cagey during his interview. And to law enforcement, Senior raised many red flags. And surprising to no one, he provided very little information. He also made some statements alluding to Jamie being abducted. Now, red flags, one thing that did stick out to them, right? So, yes. It was when Jamie was on the phone with a friend the night she disappeared. She mentioned the person giving her a ride that he had a truck. Now, Senior drove a white panel van, which you might be thinking, okay, Lindsay, a van is not a truck. Like, get it together. What are you doing? But it is very common for people to refer to vans as trucks, especially if it's a work van. It easily can kind of get lumped into a truck category. I personally have a bad habit of doing this. Anything that's not a car to me is a truck. Yeah. So, I don't know if this is a, a southern thing or what, but yeah, I'm definitely guilty of doing that myself. So, police feel that Jamie very possibly could have been referring to Senior's van. At some point after speaking with Senior, police received a tip about a bag of trash that was left on the side of a road. And not just a random road, but a road police had been searching about two and a half miles from Jamie's apartment complex. Now, this part of the road was an isolated area that not too many people frequent. So police, they go, they get the trash, and are able to connect it to Senior in some way. They call him back in for another interview and ask him about the bag. 
He readily admitted to ownership of the trash and said that he was the one who put it there. According to police, Senior said he'd been driving around in the area when he got a flat tire. He said he threw the trash bag out of the back because it was in the way of him getting access to the spare. He said he just simply forgot to pick it back up and put it back in the car. But to the police, it seemed a little more than just a forgotten bag because the position of the trash bag, the cell phone, and the location of Jamie's apartment complex, they all triangulated almost perfectly. Now, police spoke with Kim about their concerns with Senior. She actually did not believe them at first. She had a very hard time thinking Senior could even be involved in her daughter's disappearance. Although, allegedly during a phone conversation with him, he started out seemingly very concerned about Jamie and how Kim was holding up, but that conversation kind of went left a little quick. When Senior stated that it was his belief that Jamie had been abducted and that whoever took her just, and this is a quote, wasn't ready to give her back yet, unquote. What the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? Who, who says that shit about a missing person? And to her mother, no less. I, I don't know. It was just very, very odd to me. And it was odd to her mother, too. Like, that really kind of... Before, I guess she, you know, like I said, she just really couldn't believe it. But that was sort of the start of her thinking, oh, that's really odd. So that sort of started to change her mind. That and his refusal to take a lie detector test. That really raised the eyebrows and suspicion of not just Kim, but law enforcement also. Now, April 29th, Ricky Jr. gets released from prison and comes home to just a heartbreaking and chaotic, just confusing situation. He ended up moving in with Kim and Jamie's stepfather and helped them search for Jamie, hand out flyers, like anything he could do. But unlike Kim, he was very suspicious of his father right from the beginning. He believed the police, like he, he had that feeling. And also his own intuitions that his father was behind Jamie's disappearance. And he was pissed, as he should be. And rightfully so. But his father wouldn't give him any information either. So all Junior could do for his fiance was just search on his own and cooperate with law enforcement as much as he could. Now, April... May, it all continued on with no significant information or changes in the case at all. Now, Senior did reach out to Junior to try and talk with him and ask him to meet at Lowe's Home Improvement Store. Junior wanted nothing to do with his dad at all, and he was not going to meet him. But Senior called back and told him he knew where Jamie was. Which is, is wild to me because if he really knew, why would he not call the police and tell them where she is, right? But, I mean, Junior didn't care the logic behind that. He wants to find Jamie. So Junior meets his dad at Lowe's. Honestly, again, just 
desperate at this point to find her and he sees exactly what he expected his dad was completely full of shit and talking nonsense mentioning that he had seen jamie and his ex-girlfriend kim's car which okay now junior gets pissed and asked his dad to take a lie detector test to which the dad said hell no and senior just dips out after that runs into the low store and that's it now to me this whole interaction is weird why would he ask junior to meet him instead of just maybe talking to him over the phone it makes me wonder was he going to do something to junior right or the thing with jamie being in kim's car was he trying to set kim up to make it look like she took jamie or was involved or i i don't know it just was very very odd to me and it concerns me that he went obvious i mean that was just scary now shortly after jamie disappeared senior moved out of copperfield apartments the family said they believed that he was actually asked to move out of the complex but a fellow tenant who lived in the apartment underneath him for quite a while said he was a good neighbor he was a maintenance man for the complex and was seemingly a nice guy he was very respectful and always very cordial the neighbor said he didn't look like or present himself as a person who couldn't control himself which is an interesting observation because obviously he probably didn't know about his past charges and what he did so the fact that he was able to control himself that much and maybe present as a way that he wasn't that's a little scary but the neighbor wasn't the only one who had positive things to say about ricky simmons senior senior's cousin 51 year old paul husky said that senior had been a good person when they were kids they would often do double dates to the drive-in movies but they went their separate ways after high school. Now, when they reunited later in life, Paul didn't even recognize his cousin. He said he was a totally different person. Anything he said was an absolute lie. He was an irritable person, like he just hated life now. He even went so far as to say he was like the devil. Senior would make enemies everywhere he went, and drugs were a big part of senior's life at that time also you know like we talked about previously he was convicted of manslaughter in 86 at age 25 for strangling 24 year old donna miller which you know so from high school to 25 he went from being you know a happy guy doing normal stuff double dating just typical things to you know drugs crime and murder Shortly after he killed her, he was hospitalized for a drug overdose and then charged with the first-degree murder three days later. Now, while awaiting trial, Senior was admitted to a state mental hospital after threatening to commit suicide when a bail bondsman showed up to revoke his bond, and we did touch on that a little bit earlier. So I guess at some point he had bonded out on the murder charge. <clears throat> Excuse me. And again, he was sentenced to 20 years and was relieved after six in 92 for good behavior. 
But his arrests also included fraud, larceny, several drug arrests. And it was in 2003 that Senior meets Kim Springer when he started working as a painter for her family business. Kim herself was also a former addict and has a criminal background as well. And that includes convictions of fraud, writing bad checks, and shoplifting. Now, according to Senior's cousin Paul, Kim left her husband, her three children, and her South Charlotte home in order to be with Senior and move in with him. So she up and left everyone. So apparently she felt like Senior was enough of a catch to abandon her kids. So there's that. Which she did up until shortly before Jamie's disappearance when the couple broke up and Kim moved out of the Copperfield apartment complex. Now I believe they were together at least, you know, five, six years, but it was off and on. It was off and on. So back to the current time frame. Police are very suspicious of Senior. So they begin surveillance and following him, hoping that he's going to lead them to Jamie. Now through this surveillance, they quickly realize he is stalking his ex-girlfriend Kim. And considering his previous history, they are obviously concerned for her safety. So they notify Kim of what's going on and suggest that she get a restraining order, which she does on May 27th. And in the, you know, application for the restraining order, she states that Senior had been violent on numerous times and that she and her roommates were afraid of him. Now, June 7th, 2008, Kim is driving home from work when she notices a strange smell in her car. Thinking maybe she left groceries or, you know, like an item had fallen out of a bag in her back seat and had now gone bad. She didn't really do much about it at first. The next day, she drives her friends to and from church and the smell has gone nowhere. It's gotten worse, actually. Now, around 6 p.m., she decides to check the trunk and see if maybe she forgot to take some food out of it or if a small animal or something had crawled in there and gotten stuck and died well she was half right she opens the trunk and gets the fucking shock of her life she did find the source of the smell not forgotten food but i guess you could say she found a dead animal of sorts if you guessed that the dead body of Ricky Simmons Sr. was in the trunk, you guessed correctly. If you didn't guess that, you know, you're definitely not alone because what the fuck, right? Who who would think that? But that is what happened. Apparently, at Kim's new apartment, a few things had gone missing in the past week from her car, including her purse and her keys. Now, Kim calls the police ASAP. When they get there, they find that Senior had a knife. It was under his body. In addition to several of Kim's belongings that had gone missing from her home recently also. And a set of her keys was in his pocket. Now, an autopsy was done shortly after the discovery of his body in Kim's trunk. 
His autopsy showed alcohol and drugs in senior system at the time of his death. Big surprise there, right? But his actual cause of death showed he died of a heat stroke. And it had been over 90 degrees on the days that Senior had been in the trunk. Now, investigators guessed that Senior had climbed in the trunk with a plan to ambush Kim and most likely was going to end up killing her. The emergency latch inside the trunk was in working order. So they guessed he either passed out from the drugs or alcohol he had ingested and the heat probably affected him to the point of either not waking up or if he did wake up, he was probably so heat affected or drug and alcohol affected, he would have been disoriented to the point of incapability. So he either forgot the latch was an option or just couldn't put the thought and coordination together to get himself out of the situation he had gotten himself in. And that eventually ended in his death. Now, for whatever reason, him not knowing about the latch, the disorientation, the whatever it was that killed him, essentially, right? Ended up saving Kim Springer's life. Senior had told several of his friends leading up to this event that he wanted to give Kim the surprise of her life. This, in combination with him being in her trunk with a knife, led police to believe he had every intention of ambushing Kim and harming her, most likely killing her. Now, I do have a couple thoughts on that. Did he plan this now? Because he knew eventually, coming soon, he was going to be arrested for Jamie's disappearance. And he didn't have much time left to be able to do it. He knew there was a lot of heat on him because of Jamie. So I don't know why he would risk this. He had to know the police were keeping an eye on him. But maybe he just didn't care. He knew he was running out of time. And if he was going to be in prison the rest of his life, he was going to, I guess, go big or go home. I don't know. Now, Kim Springer, needless to say, was relieved with Senior's death. And on some level, I imagine Junior was too, to an extent. But I would guess that Senior's death was a bit overwhelming also. Junior had always considered Senior as more of a friend than a father figure. And again, I don't know who raised him. I don't know if he was with Senior his entire life or where his mother was, what the relationship was there, because it doesn't seem like, at least in any of the articles or TV episodes that I watched, that she was around at all. So I I don't know. But, friend or not, it was still a lot for a young adult to process. And Junior said in a TV interview for a local station, you know, first my fiancé goes missing, Then my dad climbs in a trunk and dies. Like, does that make sense to anybody? No. No, it doesn't. I'd say an everyday person would absolutely have trouble processing even a fraction of what Junior had had to deal with up to this point. Now, Ricky Simmons Jr. has gone on with his life as best as he could after suffering such a traumatic situation. He moved from Gastonia, 
where he had lived his entire life and settled down in Shelby, North Carolina, where he is now self-employed. I'm not sure what his company or trade is. I couldn't find that. Um, since Jamie's disappearance, Junior has kind of preferred to keep his private life private as he should. You know, no judgment there. But not a whole lot is known about him. His social media did indicate that he might presently be in a relationship. And I don't know if he keeps in touch with Jamie's family still at all or not. Now, Kim Fraley, on the other hand, she felt no relief from Ricky Simmons Sr.'s death. It was the exact opposite, actually. Because now, any questions that anyone had for him, any information he knew, it's gone. It's gone. He died with that information. And even though the police believe that Sr. was involved with Jamie's disappearance, his death did not stop their investigation. The county police had three detectives dedicated to the case, in addition to requesting that the FBI and the State Bureau of Investigation come in and help. Now, Detective Roney said that they thoroughly investigated every lead that came in. The entire investigative bureau at the Gastonia Police Department worked the case when Jamie first went missing. You know, and the detective stated she has never seen a missing person case worked so thoroughly. But even with all that time and dedication and, and work and hours put into it, Jamie's never been found. And the lack of leads and evidence is frustrating for the family, as, as it would be. None of the tips have led anywhere productive, leaving Gary Rice, Jamie's stepfather, to feel like the situation is like a puzzle, but the pieces just aren't fitting together. Now, Kim Fraley expressed her frustration saying, you know, where do I look? They, they don't even know where to look. They don't know what to do. They follow every lead that comes in, but nothing has ever come from them. She's even contacted a psychic to see if they could get any information that way. And they didn't. And, you know, I mean, I was going to say it surprises me that a lot of families do consult with psychics, but, you know, it doesn't really surprise me, especially when, you know, you've run out of every other avenue, right? It's like, what do you do? You literally would want to do anything to try to find your loved one and psychic included. Now, Kim Fraley says she stays active and still goes to work at Abingdon Place in Gastonia, which is an assisted living facility. Gary says they work for survival only. We don't want to work, but we have to. I can't imagine, honestly, just having to work and go on with life like my daughter wasn't missing, right? Like, how do you even do that? And life does go on. You, you have to. You know, she has another daughter that she was taking care of. So, unfortunately... Life just doesn't stop, even though maybe for you it seems like it should, you know? But Kim does take comfort in her last conversation with her daughter. She told Jamie, well, I love you. And Jamie responded, I love you too. Kim says that's the last time she's heard her voice. And she said she's really glad she got to tell her that she loved her. You know, at least I have that. 
because the next day, she was gone. Now, for years, Kim was barely able to get out of bed, but was determined to do so, so she could keep going for the rest of her family. And that's a strong lady. Kim keeps a box of Jamie's belongings, but says they're hard to look at. While grateful for the memories she still has of her daughter, memories are painful. And I understand that. My mother committed suicide when I was 19. And even still, all these years later, it is so hard for me to look at her box. You know? And I couldn't imagine if it was my child. So I I do, you know, feel that kind of hard. Memories are great, but they also hurt, right? Because they remind you that person's not there you won't ever have any more memories so I can definitely understand why that's hurtful for Kim but Kim says she will never give up searching for Jamie people always say the word closure but there's no such thing as closure and until someone shows me different I'm not going to think otherwise referring to her daughter still being alive so What happened to Jamie? The most popular and most accepted theory is, of course, Ricky Simmons Sr. is responsible for Jamie's disappearance. But what happened? So personally, I 100% think that Sr. did something to Jamie. His son was coming home from prison very soon, so his window was closing. Sr.'s interest in Jamie was pretty well known. So, with Junior coming home soon and Jamie very sick and in such a vulnerable state, I think he saw his opportunity and he took it. I don't think, though, that he took Jamie anywhere. When she said he was here, I think she meant Senior was at the door. And I think whatever happened, happened inside the apartment. It would have been very easy to subdue Jamie on a regular day. She was so tiny. But her being so sick made it 10 times easier. And I believe the missing shoestrings were used to either strangle Jamie or tie her up. And she trusted him being senior. And I think he abused that trust, most definitely. I also want to address Jamie's stomach flu. It's been pretty clear that senior, being a maintenance worker for the complex, had access to everyone's apartment. So I wonder if he planned this assault and was actually poisoning Jamie. Because it felt more than just a simple stomach flu. And Jamie felt that too. Because she, you know, when they told her at the emergency room it was a stomach flu, she told several people she felt like they had misdiagnosed her. That was why she was wanting to go back. She felt like they just didn't get it right. And I wonder if, You know, he did that because he knew it would be easier to get to her and for Jamie not to fight back because she was so sick that she couldn't. Now, that's just a personal opinion, right? I I don't know that for certain. But being a nurse, that was one of the first things that, that jumped out at me. So why not attack her before when he took her to the hospital? Well, I'm going to say maybe he lost his nerve, but later in the day, like at 1.30 to 2 a.m., drugs and alcohol had had an effect on him and sort of gave him that boost to follow through. I, w- I would definitely 
be interested to know what was found in that trash bag for sure. But obviously their police aren't going to release that. Another theory was that due to Jamie's anxiety and bipolar disorder, she ran away. Just completely took off, right? But, no, I, I just, no. Not a lot of weight was given to this theory, but, I mean, they have to consider it, right? But, Jamie was very close to her family, and her bipolar and anxiety had been well controlled through medication for several years. So, she was not unstable. She was actually, you know, very stable. She was controlled on her medication, and she was doing very well with her disorders. So, I, I don't, I just don't see that happening. And she had not gone off of her meds or stopped taking them. So, running away in the end was just not a viable option. And they kind of scratched that out pretty quickly. Another theory that was initially thought was that Jamie was taken against her will by someone she didn't know, or maybe didn't know very well. Now, I don't know how that would happen because she knew the person well enough to ask for a ride, but maybe it was someone that she just met or didn't know that well that Jamie just immediately trusted that she shouldn't have. She did mention that he drove a truck. And like we talked about earlier, Senior drove a white panel van that law enforcement assumed Jamie was referring to as a truck. But what if she wasn't? What if Jamie meant an actual truck? Now, there were two other theories that were eventually ruled out, but I'm going to include them. The first one. Kim Fraley was sent a picture of a woman from an escort website who was at the time living on the West Coast. Unfortunately, this was a dead end as authorities tracked the woman down and they verified her identity. But this gave Kim hope that Jamie was still alive and just being held. Senior did tell Kim that he felt like the abductor, quote, wasn't done with her yet, unquote. So was he holding her somewhere? I personally don't think she left her apartment alive. But... You know, it is a possibility that he had her somewhere or maybe had sold her to someone either because he didn't want her saying anything or, you know, to clear a drug debt maybe. Who knows? But I, I think he killed her. The other theory came from a sudden confession by convicted killer Jerry Case. Case was on trial at the time for a 1985 Gaston County murder. He had confessed to this murder via a letter he wrote to the Gaston Gazette in 2012, confessing to the 1985 murder. Okay. So, in 2015, Case writes another letter to the Gaston Gazette, confessing to two other murders, one of them being Jamie. But this was also debunked as Jerry Case was incarcerated at the time of Jamie's disappearance, although he was released from prison a few weeks later. So maybe Case did kill a young blonde girl and he thought it was Jamie 
and he just got the identity confused or he was flat out lying, which, I mean, that happens more often than not, surprisingly. The second murder that he confessed to in the 2015 letter, he didn't do either. So it just kind of seemed like a bunch of bullshit. I don't know why, but it has been done many times to confess to stuff you had nothing to do with. So that is it for this week's case. That's Jamie Fraley's story. I mean, it's just unnecessary and it's awful. And the saddest part is being that in all likelihood, any and all information of Jamie's disappearance, Senior took with him when he died. And that is absolutely tragic. But if you have any information regarding this case, Gaston County Police, 704-866-3320. Crime Stoppers, 704-861-8000. So that is all I have for Mystery Monday this week. If you made it this far, that's amazing. And thank you for hanging in there with me until the end. It was kind of a longer case. If you liked it, please consider leaving a comment or a rating. I would definitely appreciate it. And it would help get these stories out to more people. Join me for Solved Saturday this week, where I focus on a solved case every other Saturday. And then, of course, every Monday for Mystery Monday. This Saturday's Solved Saturday is going to focus on the case of Tanisha Chapel, who was horribly neglected in an Indiana jail and died, most likely from poisoning by other inmates. And is the jail part of a cover-up? The family definitely thinks so. So join me Saturday for Tanisha's story. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Thank you for joining me today and have a great day. And I hope to talk with you again soon.